going to read from the scriptures now. We're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 chapter uh, verses 19 to 39. Hebrews 10, 19 to 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. Let's ask God's blessing on his, on his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for the gift of your word, and we pray that as we come to hear from you in your word, that you would bless your word to us. Please increase our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Please increase our love for you and for our fellow believers and our obedience to you. And Lord, give us fuller assurance of the hope of heaven that we have waiting for us. We pray that you would do these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Notice in the bulletin, I actually chose verses 3 to, 8, 3 to 8, but I decided I should probably pick a smaller passage, and that would also allow me to go a little bit deeper 
into what's said there. So we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I'm going to read all, I'm going to read from 3 to 8, though, just to give us the context. This is what Paul writes. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. As you hear those words there, that that full passage, that... The broad overview of the passage, what Paul is really doing is Paul and Timothy are giving thanks for God's work through the gospel in the Colossians' lives. That's really what 3 through 8 is all about. And Paul, as he's giving thanks, highlights three aspects that he's particularly thankful for. He says he's thankful for the fruit of the gospel, he's thankful for the truth and power of the gospel, And he's thankful for a faithful minister of the gospel to the Colossians. Now this morning we're just going to look at at two basic points. We're not going to cover the whole passage. And we're going to focus on just two things. We're going to look at Paul's thanksgiving in verse 3. And then we're going to look at his thanksgiving specifically for the fruit of the gospel in verses 4 to 5. As we look together at just those two basic points at the very beginning of our passage we see that Paul gives thanks for God producing spiritual fruit in the lives of the Colossians. That what Paul's particularly thankful for is that God is producing spiritual fruit in the lives of the Colossians. Now, as we see that, the place we have to start is just first Paul's thanksgiving. We see that in verse 3. Now, Paul starts with thanksgiving. That's the, really the fact of his thanksgiving. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, as Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, he doesn't start with instruction. doesn't start with a sermon. He doesn't even start with correction, though they're going to need correction later. No, Paul starts with thanksgiving. Then we actually we'll see in the next passage down in verses 9 to 14, he moves from thanksgiving into prayer for the Colossians. If you look at all of Paul's letters, he actually begins almost every single one of them with thanksgiving to God or, or some way of blessing God for what he's done in the lives of the people he's writing to. But have you ever asked why? Why does Paul do this? Why do his letters start with thanksgiving for God's work. One way to think about it is that Paul begins his letter expressing his dependence on God. See, both thanksgiving and prayer is really showing our dependence on God. Thanksgiving, well, what is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is praising God for what he's already done. And then prayer is coming from the other direction saying, please, God, 
do more. Both thanksgiving and prayer are showing how much we need God. So when Paul is thankful, when Paul is thankful, it shows that he does not take for granted what he knows is true of the Colossians. He doesn't take for granted their growth in grace. He doesn't take for granted the arrival of the gospel to the town of Colossae. He doesn't take for granted the work of a faithful minister. No, actually, Paul takes all of what he knows to be true about the Colossians and he turns it into thanksgiving to God because he knows that none of this, none of this could happen apart from God. And Paul's dependence on God that drives his thanksgiving leads us to look at Paul's focus and his thanksgiving. Paul's thanksgiving here in Colossians is directed to God the Father. Notice what he says. He says, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks or or actually praises God the Father specifically throughout all of his letters. And that pattern actually fits all of our prayers. Our prayers and our praises to God are to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. But there's a whole lot more here, actually, in Paul's beginning to his thanksgiving as he looks at God the Father. Think with me just briefly about how Paul describes God the Father and Jesus Christ. Because as he says... God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he says those words, as he thanks God for that, he actually has the whole plan of salvation in mind. See, Paul is giving thanks to the Father who sent his own Son to take on our nature, to be that promised human, divine Savior that we need, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now by the Spirit, It's not just that we can call Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, but now our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we can actually call on the Father as our Father because we're adopted by the Spirit. So even as Paul is getting ready to thank God for so many things that are true in the lives of the Colossians, he starts by thanking God for being the God of our salvation. Everything else Paul is thankful for is going to flow exactly directly from God being this God of our salvation. Now, the first thing that Paul really zeroes in on in the lives of the Colossians is the fruit of the gospel. That's the second point we see that Paul gives thanks for the fruit of the gospel in verses 3 to 5. Paul and Timothy have been giving thanks since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And as you you read Paul's words here, you may hear three very familiar words, faith, love, and hope. These these three things are often used in the New Testament almost as as a summary or a snapshot of what the Christian life looks like. We may be familiar, for instance, with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says that faith, hope, and love abide. 
The greatest of these is love. But it's not just there. He actually, in 1 Thessalonians, as he, again, reflects on what God has been doing in that church, he focuses again on the faith, the love, and the hope that's true there. But it's not even just Paul. We just read from the book of Hebrews. And in that passage in Hebrews, we actually could see, I don't know if you caught it, but we could see faith, hope, and love. They're right in the middle there of the author of Hebrews describing what it looks like now to be living a faithful Christian life. So faith, love, and hope, they're kind of like the the spiritual baseline. The spiritual baseline for health and faithfulness in the Christian life. There's other things we could add in as well. Obedience, we need to be obeying God's word. But even our obedience flows out of our faith to God. And and Paul's focus here on, on just the faith, love, and hope of the Colossians, the very basic point is this. As Paul hears about the church in Colossae, Paul knows and sees the marks of a healthy church as he hears about their faith, their love, and their hope. But let's look at together at the specifics of what Paul has actually heard about. Paul writes, We give thanks because of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, which come from the hope laid up for you in heaven. So first, Paul looks at the faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is essentially, it's trust, right? It's trusting in Christ Jesus alone for our salvation. And in order to have true faith in Jesus Christ, we need to know our problem. We need to know that God is holy and that we are sinners. And we also need to know God's solution to that problem, that God sent His own Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. But knowing that truth is not the same as having true faith. No, because then we need to take what we know from Scripture and we need to actually then trust Jesus Christ, trust Him alone for our salvation. That is saving faith. And that kind of faith that we have in Christ Jesus, that is not a one-time deal. It's not like, you know, I said something way back then, I believed something way then, but what about now? No, now our lives are still characterized, are still guided, are still based on that faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The faith that Paul describes here is ongoing faith. You and I need faith in Jesus Christ right now just as much as that moment when we first believed in Him. Now this this faith, faith in, in Jesus Christ... That that leads me to ask the question, if I asked you, what is a Christian? People have lots of different answers for what's a Christian. You know, some people might say um, going to church or, or, or being even a member of a church is what makes me a Christian. Or other people might say, you know, being a Christian means being a good person or trying to follow Jesus. But those things do not make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who has put their faith fully in Jesus Christ alone. That really points us to the fact that faith in Jesus Christ, that is fundamental, 
fundamental for all believers. That faith, like I said, leads to so many other things in our lives. But if you don't have faith, you do not have Christ, and you do not have salvation. Faith is what we need. But our faith, our faith is never alone. Our faith is seen in what we do. And Paul immediately turns that way as he looks at the love for all the saints that the Colossians are showing. You know, Paul is actually connecting right there with what James has said elsewhere, that faith without works is dead. And Paul zeroes in on the love of the Colossians, which flows out of their faith in Jesus Christ. But even as we look at this love, that's true of the Colossians, it's not just love for anyone or everyone. Paul is very specific. The love he sees is love for all the saints. Remember last week as we looked at the first verses of Colossians, we saw that saints basically means the holy ones, believers, people that God has saved and he set apart to be his people. So what Paul means here is that we are showing love, the Colossians are showing love to the people that God himself has loved first. The Apostle John actually makes the same point. Listen to these words from 1 John 4. He says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God has loved all believers, and we are called to that same kind of love. And Paul does not let us off the hook here. The Colossians are known for their love for all the saints. Not some of the saints, but all the saints. And that means first, just saints in the Colossian church. I I would bet that we probably all know by experience how hard it can be to love everybody we go to church with. You can probably think of people right now, hopefully just in your past, but people that it's, it's sometimes difficult to love in the church. But God loves them. God loves your brothers and sisters in the church enough to die for them. And actually, the sacrificial love that he showed to you and he shows to them, he helps us to show to all other believers. It can be hard, but God is the one who's going to help you to do that. But just think a little bit broader here, because it's not just that the Colossians love just the believers in their church, as hard as that may be. Actually, God here is saying that their love is for all believers everywhere. All the saints really does mean all the saints. Now, we we won't ever meet most of the Christians in the world, right? That's just the reality. We won't be able to do that. But we can still show our love for them right now. How do we do that? Well, it's similar to how we show our love for each other. In prayer for one another, for saints around the world, in service as God gives us opportunities, in giving to the work of the gospel around the world, and in fellowship with believers from the four corners of the earth when God brings them into our lives. Believers are characterized by a deep, heavenly, sacrificial love for one another. That was true in the Church of Colossae, and it's true at PRPC here. But Paul moves on to focus on one more characteristic of the Christian life. He says that they have the hope 
that is laid up for them in heaven. Now that third characteristic is hope. Just really simply is hope. When, when we think about hope, when you even just think about the word hope, it's almost by definition looking, looking forward to something, right? We're looking ahead to something. We're hoping in something. That's actually true of the Christian life. We as believers are always looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. But if you look closely at what Paul says here about hope, he is not talking about our act of hoping. No, he says, the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Paul isn't talking about your act of hoping. No, he's, he's talking about what we're hoping in, the object of our hope. So what is this hope then? What is this thing that we are looking forward to? Well, it turns out that hope is actually a very important idea in the book of Colossians. If I can just summarize real briefly, what we see in the entire letter is this. Our hope is really Jesus Christ and the fullness of life with him in heaven. That is our Christian hope. A little bit later in the, in the book, in verse 23, one, chapter 123, Paul talks about the hope of the gospel. And then verse 127, he actually says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Again, a little further in chapter 3, he really starts to, to bring this out, to show our hope and the connection to Christ. He says, for you have died, and your life right now, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That simply, very simply, is what we are looking forward to. Being with Christ in glory. Now here in in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talks about this kind of hope, being with Christ in glory, that hope being, being laid up for us in heaven. And you can begin to see, I think, why that picture makes sense. Because our hope is Jesus Christ. And where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. That's where our hope is. It's in heaven. But there's more to that picture because the idea of our hope being laid up for us is also a way of giving us assurance of life with Christ. See, see that, that, that language of, of, of being laid up, something being laid up for you, it's, it's like the idea of putting your money in the bank. Okay, when I was a little kid, one of the things I loved to see when I went to the bank was to be able to look into the vault. They didn't let me go in, but I got to go see it. And that bank, that bank vault, the walls were so thick, and the door was so thick, and I could see all those little deposit boxes in there. And I knew that if I put my money in that vault and they shut that door, nobody and nothing was going to get in. What I put in there was secure. Heaven is better than any bank vault we've ever designed. And if our hope is in heaven, then nothing and no one can ever touch it. Not even Satan can reach his hand up into heaven and to take away our hope. It is absolutely secure. Now our hope, that life with Christ, that life is based on God's promises. We see them all through Scripture. God promises again and again what that will be like to be with Christ. But it's not, our hope is not just based on a promise of the future. Our hope is based on a reality now. 
the reality that Jesus Christ himself is in heaven right now seated on his throne. Listen to these words from Hebrews. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. From Hebrews chapter 10, our hope goes where Jesus is. Because in Christ, we are inseparably connected to him. There is nowhere else we can be except with Christ. And so our hope is secure because that's where he is. And where he is, we will be also. But God gives us even greater assurance. God gives us even greater assurance of our hope in heaven. Think about the book of Ephesians. Paul opens up the book of Ephesians and he starts talking about the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And towards the end of that first section, he says, we have the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit there? He says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. It's a down payment of what's coming soon. Just think about the, the, the amazing thing that Paul is saying there is that we, God himself, is with us right now, as the Holy Spirit, God himself is with us right now as a guarantee of our being with God forever. That is the assurance that we have about our hope. But you know what? We're not still. We're not looking just forward to the future and hope. We've already begun to see that with our connection to Jesus in heaven right now and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we actually are starting to share in the hope of heaven right now. Because one of the, one of the kind of the, the seeming paradoxes of the Christian, Christian life, really of Christian hope, is that we're looking forward to something, but we also have a part of that already, right now. So, so we're looking forward to life with Christ in heaven, but we already have the beginning of that life now. See, the Bible, again, time and time again, points us to something like the resurrection, Right, the beginning of that eternal life. But, but Paul says very clearly that actually we've been raised with Christ, not with our bodies, but with our souls. We've been raised with Christ and we share in his resurrection right now. So that means, yes, we're still waiting for the resurrection of our bodies. That's true. And the fullness of what it will be like to be living in resurrection life with Jesus forever. Yes, that's true. We're waiting for that. But right now, right now, we already have the beginning of life with Christ. It's almost like it's almost like our hope. Our Christian hope means we have one foot in heaven right now. That, that kind of hope, that sure and certain hope, that assurance, that conviction of what we have, not just in the future, but that we're experiencing now, that's the kind of hope Paul is talking about in Colossians. That's what he means here. It's that fullness of of what it means to have eternal life, to be with Christ in the presence of God forever. And it's what we're already starting to experience now. Where do we learn about that hope? Where do we learn about that hope of eternal life? Well, Paul specifically says here that the Colossians have learned about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. That's really what we've been seeing as we've looked at so many different places in the Bible about hope. Is that the gospel... The good news of God's salvation is a message 
of hope. Our Christian life, what we believe is hope. We have a sure and certain hope of salvation of eternal life. And if I can just make a a quick application here, this hope should come through clearly as we share the gospel with unbelievers. We're not just talking about some sort of abstract truth. We're not just talking about what might be right or wrong. We are talking about the hope that we have. And we are offering God's hope to sinners as we explain and teach the gospel. Do not ever sell that message short of eternal life with Christ forever. That's the hope that we are offering to a dying world. But there's one other really important thing here as we look at what Paul says about hope. Paul doesn't really just simply comment on the Colossians' faith and love and and this hope that they have. No, he actually connects faith and love very clearly to hope. And according to Paul, the faith and love that they have are based on the hope that's waiting for them in heaven. According to Paul, their faith and love have come because of, notice the language, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. The foundation for our our love and our faith is really Christ and life with Him. That that very present reality that our lives are right now hidden with Christ and those, those clear promises of that fuller life with Christ soon, those truths support our faith in Christ and they support our love for one another. How? How does that work? Well, think about it. Who are we trusting? Who are we actually trusting? Who is our faith in, in other words? Our faith is in Christ, the Savior who has saved us from our sin and again has joined us to himself with an unbreakable bond. And what does he tell us? Listen to what he says in the Gospel of John. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So, so if, that's our, if that's our end, and that's what God, Christ is promising us, and if that end is unshakably secure, that I'm going to be with Christ because He's coming to get me, then my present faith in Christ is strengthened immensely. Let, let me give you an example of how God does this and increases our faith actually by looking ahead. What if I told you what if I told you that I had, I had started a bank account in your name and I put a million dollars in it? So that means right now, you're a millionaire. You probably wouldn't believe me. I don't have a million dollars. Okay, but let's say I did. Let's say I had a million dollars, I put it in a bank account, and then I got you the bank statement that showed it. I said, look, here's your name right here on it. Right here it says that you have a million dollars and in a few years, you're going to get it all. Okay, you, you know the end goal. You know what's waiting for you. And right then and there, you can already begin to trust me. But, but what if I went a little bit further? And I said, I want you to know right now that that money, that million dollars is yours. So I'm going to give you a debit card right now that you can go to that ATM over there. You can stick it in and the money's going to start coming out. You're going to see that promised money in your own possession right now. God does something similar with us, right? He promises and He provides. He is so clear about the promises of the future. It's all on that bank statement. That bank statement that that God gives us, though, has a number so big you can't even imagine it. The blessings that He gives us are infinite. But it 
It was secured for us by Jesus. That's why it's infinite, because Jesus' blood for you secures everything you might possibly need, way beyond your imagination. And if you looked at that bank statement, you would see that big number, you would see your name on there, and at the bottom, you would see Jesus' name too. He signed it over to you. And if you looked at that signature, it's written in His blood. It's the blood of the cross. And then God takes that bank account. He takes those blessings and he starts giving them to you and I right now through the Spirit. God promises and God provides. And those two things secure our faith right here and now. But you know, Paul also says that our hope in Christ is also the foundation, not just of our faith in him, but our love for one another. How does, how does that work? How does that work? We, we're, we're right to say that we love each other because Christ loved us and died for us, right? Let's really focus on what Christ has done in the past at the cross. But our hope, think about it, our hope is for the present, it's for the future. Hope is always forward-looking. So how does that kind of hope make us love one another better now? Well, our love for fellow believers now, our love for those in the church grows in real ways as we look forward to sharing in Christ together in heaven. The love that we have for each other now is just, is just really a small part of what our love for each other is going to be. When finally we're all together and we're all going to be perfect and we're all going to be with Christ, the head of the body and the bridegroom. Maybe just a simple way to summarize what Paul is saying here about this hope. He says, our future with Christ changes everything about our lives now. Our future with Christ changes everything about our lives now. And as Paul sees that truth, as he sees it being worked out in the lives of the Colossians, as he sees their faith, their love, and their hope, He is thanking God for doing that. Paul thanks God for producing that faith and love and for securing that hope for his people. It's so clear. It's all God's work from first to last. Paul is not thanking God for these fruits of the gospel because the Colossians are, they're turning out to be really good people. You know, they've just really been working hard at their faith and their love. And, you know, I can thank God for that. No, 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 no. Paul is recognizing that any fruit, any fruit he sees in this church is coming because God is at work. And he turns to God immediately to thank him for his amazing work in the Colossians. For that faith and love now and for that hope in the future. These are God's work in in you and for you. They're really part of what what God has given you, what Christ has won for you, and what the Spirit is now applying in you right now. Now, as, as we think about what these truths mean for us, l- let me just start. Let me start by encouraging you to look at our church, to look at it, PRPC, to look at each other, and to see God's work in us. Don't just look at people. See people that God has saved, and see people that God is increasing faith in, and He's giving us love, and He's given us all this hope that's waiting for you. God has done the work in our lives. God has done the work in our church. What God has been doing here, what God has been doing in our lives, is 
absolutely monumental. You know, don't, don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the building. Look at the people. Look at the work. The workmanship, actually, of God. You and I have been blessed by God with faith and with love and with hope. So see it first. And then as you see it in the lives of your brothers and sisters right here, immediately turn it back to him in thanksgiving. It's not enough just to notice what God is doing. Turn to God in thanksgiving. We really can cultivate a culture of constant thanksgiving. And constant thanksgiving for for what seems like maybe the exact same things. See, Paul is saying, I give thanks for your faith and love and hope today and yesterday and the day before that. And guess what? I'm going to be giving thanks for that all the way until Christ comes back. We can never actually thank God enough for being the God of our salvation. We can't. We'll never run out of time to thank God for saving us and for saving our brothers and sisters. And we'll never be able to thank God too much for that faith and love and hope that he has worked in our lives. So as you think about your brothers and sisters here, as you think about how can I be thankful to God, go back to the basics. Go back to salvation. Go back to faith. Go back to love. Go back to hope. Never ever feel like you have exhausted your thanksgiving to God and what seems like so basic, basic things. And finally, I just want to focus on one last piece that this hope that Paul has really emphasized here in this passage, he's going to emphasize in Colossians, this hope, I want us to encourage one another and pray for one another that we would be hope-minded, that we would be heavenly-minded, that our lives now would, yes, be grounded in Jesus' work at the cross, but also firmly anchored in heaven. And our prayer, my prayer for you, our prayer for each other should be that as we focus more, as we focus more on the blessings that Christ has given us in himself and that hope of heaven, that he would then, that God would then increase our faith and our love for one another right now. Some people will say that you're you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Have you heard that? That's the complete opposite of what Paul says. He says, encourage one another to be so heavenly minded, so focused on that hope that is waiting for us in heaven, that right now you are characterized by a deep faith and a deep love. Your lives are transformed now by where you're going and what's waiting for you. Not just what, but who is waiting for you. So as we close, just think about that fact. And encourage one another and pray for one another to seek the kingdom of God, to seek that hope that is waiting for us in heaven, and to pray that that would be transforming our lives as we believe in Jesus Christ and we love one another. Amen. Let's pray together now. Lord, it is your work from first to last the work of saving us and the work of sustaining us all the way along and the work of then bringing us to be with you in heaven. Every single part of our life with you is your work. But Lord, we pray that even as we 
give thanks to you that we would see clearly what you have been doing in our lives and what you will continue to be doing in our lives. And not just in our lives, but in the lives of all our brothers and sisters here and in our brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you so much for the work of Christ. Thank you for the faith in Christ that you are working in us, the love that you are giving for our, belie- or for our fellow believers. And Lord, thank you most of all for that sure and certain hope of eternal life with you in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would transform our lives as we get closer and closer to being with you forever. And Lord, we pray that you would do this for our good and because it brings glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.